Good morning. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for inviting us into your presence. Lord, we ask your blessing upon Chris as he delivers the message that you have given to him. Please bless, bless the reading of your word. And please help us understand what you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I'll be reading from Hebrews. It's going to be chapter 13, verses 9 through... Is it supposed to be 13 or 16? Okay. Okay. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. May the Lord add his blessing to his reading of his word. Thanks, Gary. We, um, we hear from God's word, which we believe is the Bible, uh, every Sunday. And we are in the midst of a little season right now where a lot of the texts that we're considering really challenge us to see that the world that God has set up and as God intends it to be is often very backwards from how we expect it to be. It's counterintuitive. It runs contrary to the rules that we expect it to run uh, according to. And this morning's text is especially challenging for a couple of reasons. One, it's going to have some just challenging implications for how we practice our faith. It's going to push those of us who are followers of Jesus a little bit. It's also challenging because it, un it assumes an understanding of the ancient Jewish sacrificial system. And I don't know, is any, any experts in ancient Jewish sacrifices in here? Yeah, me neither. So I learned a little bit about this in seminary and forgot most of it. And um, so we're all going to be kind of wrestling through, in some sense, uh, something that will stretch us but I hope that it will encourage us as well. And what we're gonna see is that God never stretches us without having something better for us on the far side of being stretched or being challenged. Like I said, it's a little bit of a challenging text. It's a very specific text, and, and all of Hebrews really is about taking, because we know that the early Christians were Jews, 
They were Jews who just believed that Jesus was the Messiah who had been promised for thousands of years. The book of Hebrews basically shows how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those thousands of years of Jewish Bible and tradition. And yet, this morning's text and this morning's scripture is going to show us how Jesus is in some ways the fulfillment of the longing of every person. No matter where you come from, no matter what your background is, this answers some of the most fundamental questions that humans have. And it's actually, it answers some of the questions that every major world religion, at least that I know of, asks. And it all comes down to God's love for us, his self-giving, initiating love for us. That becomes the answer to this one kind of central question, and every, really every religion deals with this tension at some point. That God, no matter what, even you know, think about what you think of when you hear the word God, God is holy. This is the, I'm going to use the, the language that Christians and Jews tend to use. God is holy, that somehow he's unapproachable, and humans aren't. Now, we were made holy. That's not to say, you know, a lot of people hear um, when we start talking about things like unholiness or even the word sin, and we think that means that I'm just a terrible human being. It really doesn't. The Bible teaches that God made every person in his image, and every single one of us has an inherent value and dignity no matter what, just because God made us, and God doesn't make junk. And yet, every one of us, and we sense this in our own lives, every one of us kind of falls short. And therefore, God, the Holy One, is, in some sense, unapproachable. And you could make the case that, that every religion, every faith system tries to deal with this and reconcile this question, that how can an unholy people approach a holy God? How do they coexist? It's a tension because we know even at our core, like they really can't in some sense. The example I use every so often is that if sin is kind of like poison, imagine you have a glass of just perfectly pure water and you take a little, a little vial or a little um, eyedropper and you drop just one drop of poison into that glass. Here's the question, would you drink that glass of water? Now some of you who are like engineers and scientists are like, well, what's the poison? And how concentrated is it? Maybe. But the point is that even just a little bit of contamination actually contaminates the whole thing. And just about every religion, and this includes Judaism and Christianity, teaches that in some sense God is unapproachable because the holy and the unholy can't mix. It would pollute what is holy. That creates this fundamental divide. And it makes us wonder, what hope is there? What hope is there really? And different religions and traditions use different language, but it's largely the same idea. We're all asking in some sense, how can I improve? How can I become a better person? How can I become more holy? Because we all have baked into our human psyche that there are areas where we fall short. There are areas, we all have room for growth. We all wish that we were better in one way or another. How do I, an imperfect person, approach a holy God? That's what Hebrews 
is going to answer for us. In some sense, it's what the whole Bible answers. Now, this is where we get to the part about ancient Jewish sacrifices. And again, it can be, there are two whole books in the Old Testament that basically deal with this. Well, the second half of Exodus and then most of Leviticus. It can be really challenging to understand, especially for those of us who live thousands of years later. Let me just give you the really, really broad 30,000-foot picture. I'm going to oversimplify here. But God introduces a system in the Old Testament of sacrifices. This is actually a way of bridging that gap between the holy and the unholy. And so he tells his people, when you sin, when you mess up, you can sacrifice something. Oftentimes it may have been an animal, and they would kill the animal. They had to kill the animal outside the city gate, outside the temple. This is really important. We'll get to it later. It had to happen outside because death was in itself an unclean act, and you can't have something unclean inside the city or inside the temple in God's presence. Sometimes it didn't have to be an animal. It could be a flour. It could be oil. You could bake a loaf of bread, depending on the situation. But the idea was that if you wanted to get close to God, you had to offer these sacrifices And somehow these sacrifices made you ceremonially clean. They purified you in God's eyes. And now once you're clean, now you can approach God. Now here's the trouble. People keep messing up. And it doesn't take long to figure out and to just follow this trail where you see it's going to go that, okay, so you sin, You make a sacrifice, you get clean, now you can approach God, but then you sin again. So now I have to make another sacrifice, and so now I get clean again, and now I can go to God, but then I sin again. And I keep falling short, and all these things I wish, you know, like the things we just keep trying to get better at and better at, and we can't. It becomes like an ancient Hebrew version of the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Like it just goes over and over and over and over again. And the author of Hebrews actually keys in on this earlier in chapter 10 and writes this. They write day after day. You get the sense of it, even in in just the language they use. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again, offering the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. You see the, the, the feedback loop that you've almost gotten stuck in? Now, I know this is describing the ancient Hebrew system, but doesn't that kind of feel like our, the, way we, the way we work today? Because people are people. We don't change. We mess up. We try to make it right. We commit to doing better. We mess up again. We try to make it right. We commit to doing good. Right? Like just over and over and over and over. How do you break out of that feedback loop? The scriptures teach us, and this is the good news of the Christian faith, that actually we can't break out of it. So God has broken into it. So in the old system, you made yourself clean, you did your sacrifices, and then you could approach God. But as we've seen, the cycle never ends. So what did God do? Hebrews teaches us that God made himself, this is the backwards part, God made himself unclean and approached us. Did you catch that when Gary was reading? Let me read for you a couple of the, a couple of the verses from today's 
passage. The author writes that Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Remember how all the world, everybody, in some sense every human, is asking, how can we purify ourselves? If you believe in God, you're asking, how can I purify myself so that I can approach God? Through Jesus and in the person of Jesus, God turns that question on its head and effectively says, you actually can't, and you've seen this. You've tried over and over and over. So you can't approach me, so I will approach you. And so Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. The Bible teaches that Jesus became that sacrifice. And it happened, had to happen, remember, outside the city gate. Because remember, you can't have an unclean death inside the gate, in God's presence. And so very literally, even if you read the New Testament, when Jesus is crucified, he's crucified outside the holy city of Jerusalem. They left the city. Why? Because death is unclean. And they were not about to introduce this uncleanness into their own city. Here's where Jesus turns everything on its head. Previously, in the old system, we, the unclean, had to make ourselves clean. Now, God, who is clean, has made himself unclean. What other God does that? Hmm? He, it's almost like he breaks his own system. It's almost like the system that God created so that people could approach him itself isn't enough, and so he breaks his own system. Like, you know, we probably all know somebody, maybe, maybe it happened to you, I hope not, We probably all know somebody who had some sort of an injury. They broke a bone. It wasn't healing right. And so the doctors had to go in and re-break the bone and reset it so that it would heal correctly. In the person of Jesus, God, the holy, made himself unholy and suffered for sin, which is stunning in itself. Now, in some sense... We talk about this every single week. This is the blazing center of the Christian faith. But it's not meant to just be some kind of interesting trivia or factoid. It's meant to transform us. And the author of the letter to the Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it, but this person shows us how. So keep listening to what they write. Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then... Go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. Jesus left the camp, the place of cleanness, to make us holy. Now he invites you and me, and he says, follow me. Follow me outside the city. Follow me to the place that is, in air quotes, unclean out of all the clean and and ordered and organized systems within the camp, within the city, and into the unclean systems. This is the part that gets challenging, especially for church people. 
because we think being a good church person is about being clean and having everything together and having my life in order. I'm a good Christian, again, in air quotes, whatever that even means. And yet Jesus, when we read him for what he actually says, says you leave your place of, un- of cleanness and follow me to the place that is unclean. Which means that we leave behind at Jesus' invitation the values and all the social structures that the camp and the city represent. Now this can go in so many directions. Let me just name a few. It means that like Jesus, those of us who are followers of Jesus say no to the pursuit of power. It means we say no to the pursuit of convenience. It means we say no to the pursuit of influence. It means we say no to the pursuit of comfort. It means we say no to the pursuit of reputation. All those things that we actually so desperately want for ourselves, Jesus says, you might need to leave those things behind. And that's not to say that any of those things are bad or that if we have them, we automatically have to. It's not wrong necessarily to have power. In fact, power is kind of an institutional structure that God, um, that God gives in order to be used well, especially for the flourishing of people who are weaker. So it's not necessarily wrong to have those things, but following Jesus does mean we give up the pursuit of them, that they no longer become our highest ideal, our North Star. Now I know that's all kind of abstract, so let's just consider a little more about how, does, how might this work, and we'll just use one of these. We'll use reputation as a case study. What does it mean to leave the camp, so to speak, and follow Jesus, leaving the camp of reputation? It does not mean that the first thing you do when you start following Jesus is you do something to torpedo your own reputation. You don't have to do that. But it does mean that improving or preserving your reputation is no longer the organizing, kind of the highest ideal in your world. And maybe the best way we know to diagnose how important something is in our life is to ask, how do I start to feel? What do I feel, even in my body, when I consider the prospect of losing something? Now again, we could use this for anything. We're just thinking about reputation as as one example. How would I respond if tomorrow I woke up and realized that people don't think of me as highly as I thought they did. That person whose opinion about me I really care about. It could be a certain group I'm a part of. It could be a certain family member. And this isn't because I did something, you know, really immoral or something really over the top, but it's just because somehow in my kind of daily following Jesus, I did something that caused them to to lose some of their respect for me. If the thought of whoever that is, so-and-so, thinking less of you because you follow Jesus cripples you, like if you feel, if you really want to know, like pay attention to the back of your neck and your shoulders, you know, those are the areas that kind of tense up first. When your shoulders tense up, you might consider, am I trapped by 
Dare I say, am I even enslaved to my own reputation in maintaining and preserving what other people think of me? That may be, in some sense, the metaphorical city inside whose gates you find ultimate protection. Here's how that works. So if you live just trying to, to earn a positive reputation, and by the way, I mentioned, like, um, those of you in city council, you could teach us about this, because in your work, you know you can't please everybody, and there are just going to be people who don't approve, right? Can I get an amen? So we can learn from you on this one. <laughs> if you live just trying to earn a positive reputation, just trying to look good in front of the right person, what happens? You actually become a slave to that person. And not even really to that person, but to your perception of that person. Because everything you do is determined by your perception of what will so-and-so think. It actually becomes unfairly, like even doubly exhausting, because you might not even know what they think. You're just trying to guess at what they think. And so now you're trying to live up to somebody else's ideal, and you don't even know exactly what that ideal is, and then you wonder why you're so exhausted all the time, emotionally and socially. Now, now it can be really scary to leave that, I know. Because you've worked, you've worked a long time to gain that reputation in somebody's eyes. But consider the alternative. Consider the alternative that Jesus invites you outside the, the safety of that camp, so to speak. That's a risk. In fact, Hebrews names that risk. It says, let us leave the camp and follow Jesus, bearing the disgrace that he bore. There is often, let's be clear, there's often a cost to following Jesus. There is loss involved. Again, if we're thinking about reputation and other people's perception of us, it means that maybe the people who used to be impressed by you aren't anymore. Now you're outside the camp. You're an outsider. And you find that outside the camp, you actually meet Jesus. And outside the camp, you meet other people who are following Jesus. Everyone else who has lost something meaningful to follow Jesus. And now you realize that you're finally among people who you don't have to impress anymore. You don't have to sweat and struggle to make sure they think nice thoughts about you because they've all been through the same thing and they just let you be you. And you start to realize there's actually greater freedom in leaving than there ever was in staying. To follow Jesus means that there is loss. Because Jesus himself experienced loss. Again, if we're thinking about reputation, think about Jesus' reputation on the cross. What happened? The crowds humiliated him. The soldiers mocked him and spat on him. The bystanders, as he was hanging there, taunted him. They said, if you're really the son of God, like, just get down. You're God, you can do it. I know that doesn't sound like a good sales pitch, does it? Follow Jesus into that. 
And we know that the cross wasn't just a loss of reputation for Jesus, it was death. Follow me into death, Jesus says. How's that for a sales pitch? But remember the whole story with me. What happened after Jesus died? If you grew up in church, you can say it with me. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God Almighty. Or as the author of Hebrews puts it, let us go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. I wish I had time to to really kind of flesh this out more, but simply put, if you put all your stock in this world, then what happens when this world passes away? There is a city to come. Jesus guaranteed that when he was raised from the dead. And what we find is that when we focus on the city that is to come, then we find the strength to leave behind everything that we thought was so precious in this city. We find that everything we had in this city becomes less and less important and in some ways less and less interesting. It gives us the strength and the courage to actually follow Jesus outside the camp. Because what we find is that outside the city gates, God is making the whole world into his city. In Genesis, on page one of the Bible, it says that God's city, in a sense, was the whole earth. And in Revelation, in the very last pages of your Bible, it says that God is remaking the whole world into his city. Do you see? So when we leave the city, this is all a metaphor, right? You get this, in air quotes. The metaphorical city, when you leave the metaphorical city of your own achievement, of heaping up whatever it is that you think you need in this life, you find yourself entering God's true and greater city that will never end. It's like any good investment. It's like your retirement savings. What happens in your retirement savings? Hopefully, right? You give up some of your assets in the short run, trusting that in the long run you will have far more return. Whereas Jesus asks us in the Bible, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose or forfeit his very soul? You see, when we leave the camp, the place where everything is clean, where everyone is clean, again, this is in air quotes, when we leave the camp and go outside the city and find ourselves interacting with and befriending and empathizing with and serving the very ones who are unclean, again in air quotes, the ones who don't have power and who don't have influence and who frankly have nothing to offer us, it's there that we meet Jesus himself. Now, if you know me and most of you know me, you know like I could just keep going and going and going and going and going. Biggest thing to distrust is when a preacher says, I'll keep this short. That's why I never say that. Remember how this morning's reading began, we'll end here. This morning's reading began this way. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. By grace. 
It would be so easy to turn all of this into a new law. You must leave the city. You must do. And it's just more that we have to do. And then every time we don't do that, we feel like we fall short and we feel guilty. And right, we're back in that negative feedback loop. This is not about a new law. This is about grace. It's about a God who, yes, he invites us and calls us to go outside the gates of our own comfort, but only because he leads the way, only because he took initiative, only because in his grace, he left his camp. Jesus left his seat in heaven, left that camp, and came to us to make us clean. Our whole life doesn't come to us because we've achieved something. It comes simply through the grace of God, through Jesus the Christ, through the one who made himself unclean so that you and I can be made clean. It is not achieved, it is received. Amen.